Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonabello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All-Hit Radio! Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Email exxon at exxonradiotv.com on MSN Messenger, exxonradiotv at hotmail.com, our website www.exxonradiotv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Laird Scranton, and Laird is an independent software designer who became interested in Dogen mythology and symbolism in the early 1990s. He has studied ancient myth, language, and cosmology for nearly 10 years 
and has been a lecturer at Colgate University. He also appears in John Anthony West Magical Egypt DVD series, and he lives in Albany, New York. He's the author of, let me see, The Science of the Dogon, Decoding the African Mystery Tradition, Sacred Symbols of the Dogon, The Key to Advanced Science in Ancient Egyptian Hieroglyphics, and his new book is entitled The Cosmological Origins of Myth and Symbol, from the Dogon and Ancient Egypt to India, Tibet, and China. Joining me now is Laird Scranton. And Laird, welcome to the X-Zone. Well, Rob, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. By the way, congratulations on your new book. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and where your interest in the Dogons and uh, yeah, the, the mystery surrounding them came from. Okay, well, um, uh, I grew up um, on the west coast of the United States and uh, in, in Portland, Oregon, which is a fairly open-minded, has a reputation for being a very open-minded place. Um, I had always been interested in, in unsolved mysteries, mm-hmm. and my wife uh, one time gave me a book called Unexplained by Jerome Clark. Oh, yeah, that was a great book. It's a great book, and each chapter of that book has to do with some unresolved mystery, and mm-hmm. one of the chapters devotes itself to this little tribe called the Dogon, who seem to know some things about astronomy that they shouldn't know, uh, things that they oughtn't be able to know without the aid of a powerful uh, telescope. And so I started pursuing them, wanted to know a little bit more about them, Mm -hmm. and discovered that this living tribe in Africa, in Mali, in sort of the bulge of Africa in the West, represents a kind of a crossroads for a bunch of ancient traditions. Uh, They they wear... um, Oh, let's see, see uh, prayer shawls and, and skull caps like uh, uh, are done in Judaism. They celebrate a jubilee year. They circumcise hmm. their young. Um, they follow many of the ancient Egyptian civic traditions. They, they found their cities in pairs called upper and lower. Uh, they follow the Egyptian um, uh, calendars, things like that. And they also have many traditions that are very similar to ancient Buddhism. And so um, I realized the more I got into this that this is a very interesting culture to get to know because being that they're a living culture, they might be able to tell us some things that we don't know about the ancient cultures. That's very interesting because didn't they also, uh, weren't they responsible for the discovery of one of the planets way before telescopes were ever invented? Well, that, that's that been a little bit disputed. They... Uh, um, they knew some things about the stars of Sirius. They knew that, that Sirius is not a single star like our sun. It actually consists of at least two stars, um, a, a big sun-like star and a little star that is more a dwarf star that can't, you can't see. Um, and they knew the orbital period of the two stars around each other. And uh, the anthropologist who studied the Dogon said that they had known that uh, those facts for at least 400 years. But... Uh, scientists who um, who were skeptical of the Dogon's uh, knowledge uh, claimed that they probably got their information from some uh, modern visitor. All right, stand by, Laird. You and I have to take our um, break here. We'll be back in two minutes. Exxon Nation, it's going to be an interesting hour, as it always is here in the Exxon. My special guest this hour is Laird Scranton. For more information on Laird, visit redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. And that's L-A-I-R-D-S-C-R-A-N-T-O-N. We're talking about the Dogans this hour here on the X-Zone as we continue with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. 
Your happiest spring starts at Lowe's because Spring Fest is on now. Find everything you need this season at a great low price like the Craftsman 20-volt string trimmer for just $99. And grab select miracle Grow Brilliant Blooms 25-ounce annuals, two for $10. Come into Lowe's today for the fun and savings of Spring Fest. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. miracle Grow offer in-store only. Plant size and selection varies by location. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Selection varies by location. While supplies last, about 428 through 54. We're talking about the Dogans uh, this hour on the Exxon, uh, a mysterious uh, group of people. They would be classified as living ancients, Laird? Yes, I would, I would say that they preserve a very ancient tradition, um, and they preserve it yeah. uh, fairly intact. Um, you can compare what they say to what ancient Buddhists said, and uh, it's point for point the same um, information, so they've done a good job of preserving it. What effect on history, on archaeology, on the past has the Dogen um, Dogen people had with us? For example, the information that they've related to us uh, through their through their history. How does that affect us today? Well, there's there's a great potential. Um, in studying uh, Dogen religion, because it's cast in all of the um, the archetypical mm-hmm. uh, myths and symbols of the ancient mythologies, um, the spiraling coils and the the serpents and the clay pots. Um, but the advantage is that there are living Dogen priests who have a good grasp of what their symbols mean to them, and we can compare what the Dogen priests say to say what is written in an Egyptian hieroglyphic dictionary or in Egyptian texts or in uh, books about Buddhism and um, start to get a better understanding of of what these symbols actually represent. Um, So the first thing is we can learn a lot about ancient cultures from the Dogen. The second thing is that their religion is cast in ancient Egyptian words, basically ancient Egyptian terms, and each one of these terms carries um, at least two levels of meaning, mm-hmm. such that, um, uh, okay, the meanings are disconnected from each other such that you can't guess the meaning of the second, um, the second meaning based on knowing the first meaning. So, uh, for example, their tribal god, Arma, is considered a hidden god, but his name also means to grasp or to hold firm. Um, so these terms are very important because now you can go to an Egyptian hieroglyphic dictionary and find the same words pronounced the same way with these same two disconnected meanings, and you know you've got an, an exact lock on, on a match. 
um, there's no disputing it because those meanings are so varied from each other. How many gods or deities do the Dogans actually acknowledge and, um, uh, you know, pray to? Or the, the Dogan actually only have one one deity that you would consider who rises to the level of a god in Egypt. Um, they have a number of other mythological characters and and players in their mythology who are counterparts, like the counterparts to various Egyptian gods, mm -hmm. but in the Dogon culture, they don't rise to the level of a god. They're just a character in the story or um, a generic sort of placeholder or symbol. Uh, for example, where the Egyptians have um, the eight um, Aeneid gods who emerge, the Do you know, who emerge in pairs, the Dogon have eight ancestors who are more generic, who also emerge in pairs. So there are, are parallels back and forth, but it's as if the the Dogen system represents a very early version of the Egyptian. Um, as a matter of fact, so early it looks like it, it falls just about uh, before dynastic Egypt times, before the appearance of writing in Egypt and before um, things really got going in Egypt. Is there a connection between the Dogans and any other um, civilization that we are aware of at this time? No, the Dogen... Um, Okay, the, the Dogen are known to have moved to where they live right now. They live in a very inhospitable region of Mali um, along a, an escarpment, a big cliff mm -hmm. um, in the desert that gets to be 115 degrees in, in February. Wow. So it's a very inhospitable place, and they deliberately moved there. It's, it's almost as uh, if a group of, of priests had decided that in order to preserve their tradition in the form that it was in, they deliberately set out to find a place that was as far disconnected from contact with anybody else as possible. And there are other ancient tribes that have done the same thing. Um, you see it happening among North American Indians, and you see it happening with uh, priestly tribes in Tibet and China and places like that. It seems like this is a, a tradition that was not uncommon in those days. But they had moved from, the Dogen had moved from North Africa, which is a known home to ancient Buddhism. But whereas you would expect to have a Buddhist system explained by words uh, that are out of the uh, language, languages that come out of India, the Dogen system is explained in words that come out of ancient Egypt. Exonation, our special guest this hour is Laird Scranton, and we're talking about the Dogen people. And Laird is the author of uh, several books, the, you know, The Science of the Dogen, Decoding the African Mystery Tradition. He's also the author of Sacred Symbols of the Dogen, The Key to Advanced Science in the Ancient Egyptian Hieroglyphics, and the, his new book, The Cosmological Origins of Myth and Symbol from the Dogen and Ancient Egypt to India, Tibet, and China. Looking back, you know, here we've got the, the Dogens who have you know, uh, they have lived and they continue to live and they're they're a wealth of information. How do they maintain their information? Is it passed down from one person to the next or is it actually recorded somehow? Well, it is. It's in, recorded in a very interesting way. Um, in fact, what I found from studying uh, a fairly wide number of ancient cultures, the ones who seem to have preserved it in the best form, in the most complete form, are the ones who never developed a system of writing. And the Dogen don't have a system of writing. They uh, they seem to have left Egypt. If they if they originally lived in Egypt, they seem to have left Egypt uh, before writing appeared. Um, 
but the Dogen preserve their knowledge in the same way that Buddhist, Buddhism preserves its knowledge. It's a mnemonic system where they have, it actually begins with a, a ritual aligned structure that's very much like a Buddhist stupa, that each phase of construction of this ritual structure um, recreates some aspect of their religious tradition. It, it sort of mimics the processes of mm -hmm. creation of how they feel the world was created or the universe was created. And so if you can remember how to build the, the structure, then you can um, recreate all of the key aspects of the religious tradition. Have the Dogans made any significant contribution to any of the sciences or any, any other facet that we can look back and say that came from the Dogans, like the Egyptians have, uh, you know, we've got the we've got the pyramids, we've got the Sphinx, we've got great leaders like Akhenaten, uh, King Tut, and and so on. We've got the hieroglyphics. Um, so, what significance have the Dogans brought forth? Okay, that uh, that's a tricky question. Um, when you get to the bottom of the Dogan system, mm -hmm. the Dogan religion. What you find is they, their priests say that their religion describes how their tribal god created matter. And mm -hmm. as I began reading about it and studying about it, I could see they, they start talking about matter from the top down. They talk about something that's very, very similar to an atom that makes up all the, all the things in the universe, you know, made from, from you know, recurring um, re, uh, elements of the same type to produce a, an object. Um, they had the definition of, a, of an atom correct. They had definitions of protons, neutrons, and electrons correct. And they um, drew a correct picture of an electron orbit. And so I said to myself, well, gee, if they have the two top components of matter properly defined, what are the chances that the rest of their system, as you move down from there, could be correct? All right, I have to ask you, I have to ask you at this time. Where did they get this knowledge? They say, and almost every culture that I've studied that has the same system says, that if you, go, if you get down to the bottom of it, they say that they learned it from someone who knew more than they did. They learned it from knowledgeable, what they call ancestors slash teachers. Fascinating. If you go to Buddhism, um, you get to the bottom of it, and it always comes down to a non-human source. In Buddhism... The most sacred symbols are deemed to have been given to humanity by a non-human source. Are we talking extraterrestrials? Uh, could be. It's it's not really specified. Um, it it only goes so far as to say that um, someone who knew a lot more than the Dogen did um, seems to have performed a kind of peace corps effort, a global peace corps corps effort to. Um, raises up to a level of civilization from a you know, from a previous level. What's the connection between the Dogans and the Egyptians? It looks to me as if the Dogans were Egyptian at the boundary between the pre-dynastic and dynastic Egypt. It looks to me that, that they actually were Egyptian and that a group of, of informed priests deliberately left Egypt and and moved off as a way, you know, almost as if you would make a backup copy of something important mm. on your computer. This group of priests left, formed a tribe, and found a locale that was remote where they could protect and preserve this body of knowledge that they were in charge of. 
It's as if they're they're an offshoot. Uh, so can we actually say that the Dogen tribe has its roots in Egyptology? We can't say that definitely. We can only say there's, there's a lot of evidence that makes it look as if that's true. Mm-hmm. But because there are no written records, we I can't see. say absolutely and for certain that the Dogen were Egyptian. All right, So, but when it comes to the Dogen language, the Dogen dialect, is there any similarity that we can find or establish and draw a line to the Egyptians? The Dogen language is, uh, consists of a number of other sub-languages that have been sort of uh, adopted mm. and, and conglomerated together. And it's the words of their cosmology, the words of their religion, that I'm most concerned with. And that subset of words seem to be ancient Egyptian words. Every, every key term of that, of that subset of their language ties back to Egyptian hieroglyphic words. Laird, please stand by. We have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation Nation Laird Scranton is our special guest. Redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Hi, this is Eric Rawls of Cosmoverse.com, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the Exxon. Hi, this is Blade Runner, and you are listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, I'm Laura Sabrin of Cease to Fields Organic Vineyard in Jordan, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, my name is Lady Ashley, the White Witch of Niagara-on-the-Lake, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal talk radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Nation Laird Scranton is our special guest. Redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. And we're talking about the Dogans, uh, Laird's new book, The Cosmological Origins of Myth and Symbol from the Dogan and Ancient Egypt to India, Tibet, and China. Tell me, why did you think that the, the Dogans have been able to talk about atoms, photons, all the other scientific um, elements that we were talking about in the first part of the show. And yet this information, if they did come from Egypt, hasn't been talked about by the Egyptians. Well, all of the information that 
is key to the Dogen religion mm -hmm. also exists in ancient Egypt. And one of the ways that I've been able to demonstrate that is by tracing each of the Dogen terms that they that are used to define the system and go to the Egyptian hieroglyphic dictionary and show that the same meanings assigned to the same pronunciations in Egypt. And it goes beyond that because each of these terms is associated with a drawing, a cosmological drawing that the Dogen priests make that they draw with a stick in the sand. And the, those shapes of those drawings are very often the same shape as Egyptian hieroglyphs. And so one of the offshoots of these studies is um, a new approach to reading Egyptian hieroglyphic words. Um, when I realized that each symbol associates with a concept, I decided to try, well, uh, find out what would happen if you substituted the Dogen concept for the Egyptian glyph shape in a word and, mm -hmm. and read the, the concepts out as if they were a sentence. And what I found was that each Egyptian word really represents a symbolic sentence. For instance, uh, the Egyptian word for week is written with two glyphs, one that is uh, the Egyptian sun glyph, which represents the concept of a day, and the second glyph is the Egyptian number 10. And so the word reads symbolically 10 days, and that's the definition of an Egyptian week. When you go to the Egyptian word for month, it says the moon makes an orbit. Mm -hmm. You look at the Egyptian word for seasons, and it says three arcs of the Earth's orbit around the sun. And the Egyptians had a three-season year. But earlier you you were talking and telling us about how the how the Dogans, you know, they 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 were aware of or that the information came to them from their deity um, pertaining to a an atom and then a photon. And yet, to the best of my knowledge, the ancient Egyptians didn't have this knowledge. So why is it that the Dogans came out with this information? Okay, the Dogen, the Dogen have it, uh, the Dogen priests have it, mm -hmm. and they preserve it in the form of their religion. Right. But that's not the same as saying that um, they have uh, scientists and technicians in their society who are acting on this knowledge. Oh, I, I understand that, and I appreciate that, but how come the priests in Egypt also didn't share this information? They did. From what I can see, they did. And in a lot of ways, I think that... Um, many of the symbols in Egypt have been misinterpreted or only partially interpreted. Um, a lot of these symbols have more than one viewpoint that you can look at them from. Uh, the Dogen uh, mythology um, has ser ha represents several creational processes simultaneously. They use one set of symbols to define how matter is created, how biological reproduction has happened, and how uh, the universe was formed using the same single set of symbols, and they correlate the various phases of these processes to these symbols in a particular sequence. So the Dogen know about, I mean, they have a myth that talks about the creation of the universe um, in terms that are similar to the Big Bang. And they, had, they, had, they even go to explain how it was that the, the universe, what the universe was like before the Big Bang happened. They envision it um, as if two black holes were, were facing each other and feeding matter into a central point. It was sort of held in stasis and, and spun faster and faster and faster until there was so much matter spinning so fast that it ruptured and, and created the explosion of the Big Bang. Hmm. Why do you think so much of what we call 
ancient wisdom has been lost, or has it been suppressed? No, I wouldn't say that it's been suppressed. And as a matter of fact, uh, when you get down, these traditions are secret. Are I thought of as secret traditions. It's mm-hmm. called the esoteric tradition. But the truth of the matter is that that any tribe member in the Dogen tribe, male or female, can choose to study the cosmology and learn about it, and there's no obstacle put in the way of their, their doing it. But the way the tradition works is the student has to ask the next question. And if the student doesn't get around to asking the next pertinent question, then the priest doesn't, doesn't lead them farther than that. The priest is required to answer truthfully whatever is asked. Um, if I were to go there and ask, start asking questions out of, that are were considered to be out of order. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know me from anybody. If I walked up and started asking leading questions about the inner secrets of their religion, the priests are required not to answer me, or if they have to, to lie to me. Interesting. And so that's there's a secretness to the tradition that way that might stand in the way of some of it getting out. But there's they don't there's no tradition of proselytizing in this religion. They're not trying to make converts. All they're trying to do is preserve intact a body of knowledge that they were given. Egypt has progressed to be, you know, a very uh, modern society. Have the Dogans kept up with the times, or are they still back in ancient times? No, they're still fairly fairly primitive, although um, there are, I mean, modern society is encroaching more and more on Dogan mm-hmm. life but they try as much as they can to, to stick to um, their long-time traditions. Um, they're not a very wealthy group, and they make a living through their, through their artwork and through, um, through agriculture and through um, uh, metallurgy. Uh, but they have not advanced like uh, Egyptian society has advanced. Do you have an estimate about uh, pertaining to the number of Dogans that there are presently alive? Yes, there are about 300,000, and they're spread in a number of, of small villages, um, along, mainly along this um, escarpment, this cliff, oh. a long cliff in, in Mali, in the desert. 300,000 only? About 300,000, right. Which is actually the same. There's a, another priestly tribe in China called the Naki, which are um, has functions very similarly. It, it's a group that set out to to uh, find a locale that was very remote, and they are also about three hundred thousand. Aren't they also the keepers of the world's last surviving hieroglyphic language? Yeah, so that that's very interesting because the purpose of my third book is to take um, a lot of what I know about other um, ancient traditions and from what, from what they all have and don't have, try to infer what the parent cosmology would have looked like and then lay out you know, what the signature aspects of the original cosmology must have looked like. In fact, I originally had called this book The Plan of the Ancient Cosmologies. And then after having done that, I go to this little little tribe in Tibet and China that I had not studied before and use my plan to predict what I'm going to find with that tribe and then demonstrate how each element of that plan plays out just as as expected. With all the research that you've done over the years, is there a common thread between all the religions in the world? All the ancient ones, yes. All the, especially you can you can ident- there's certain key aspects you can use, signature aspects you mm-hmm. can use to um, 
reassure yourself that you've you're tapped into the same tradition. For example, if if the culture had a hieroglyphic language originally, a language that had no vowel sounds, and a language that was based on drawings rather than uh, letters, um, that's a signature sign of this tradition. Um, if uh, the religion has a creation tradition that mm -hmm. centers around the notion of sky being separated from earth, um, that begins with water and um, that, uh, um, let's see, centers on the the symbol, the Jungian archetypical symbols, the spiraling coils and the um, the serpents and the clay pots, the horned animals. Um, these are all signature signs. If if I saw one of these elements in a little um, tribe tribal culture, I would think that culture is part of the same tradition. What do the Dogen believe happens when they die? The Dogen say that you have a person has four souls and that one of those four souls, or basically a quarter of your whole soul, um, remains um, around locally to look after people that you know. Um, they, um, their religion is not really centered on the idea of, of death, but um, uh, aspects of it are considered to be ancestor worship, that they are very, very um, aware of the people who came before them, and trying to honor the tradition of the of people who came before them. Um, they believe that their dead ancestors are, are looking out for them and can, mm -hmm. can help them in a beneficial way. If Dogans are a breakaway group from the Egyptians, how come they haven't built any pyramids or they haven't made any... Uh, do, do they believe or do they, do they exercise mummification? Okay, the pyramid form starts with, from, from my way of thinking, based on the cosmology, mm -hmm. starts with the Buddha's stupa. And the Dogen build a structure that is essentially a Buddha's stupa called a granary. And this uh, structure can culminate in a, in a, a, a round base or a square base. Um, the square base is more like an Egyptian pyramid. The Dogen... Uh, granary opens two, uh, three quarters of the way up, uh, or two thirds of the way up the north side, like uh, an Egyptian pyramid, and all the symbolism that goes with the the Dogen granary um, is mat matches symbolism that's applied to pyramids around the world. For instance, in South America, a pyramid is conceptualized as a woman lying on her back in such a way that the pyramid is there's her womb. Mm -hmm. The Dogen um, granary has the same symbolism. Uh, the Dogen granary, the faces of the granary um, represents main star groups, important star groups in the heavens that are used to control the agricultural cycle. And you have that same symbolism attached to pyramids all around the world. So my studies suggest that pyramids evolved out of um, stupas, basically. It seems that the, the, the correlation between the the pyramid and the female is a definite, well, in, in my opinion, a definite link or tie to the concept of Mother Earth. Yes, and this theme of biological mm -hmm. creation that, that is one of the three themes of the creation story. They're talking about how, how a person gets from a fertilized egg to uh, you know, a, a newborn baby. Yeah. 
And so this is just part of the process. You, the symbolism at the time of where the womb is full like that mm-hmm. is fairly far along in that creation process. Now, the the four souls, does the, is this an indicator that they also had a belief in reincarnation? Only to the extent that they understood that um, there was a genetic component to to things. They believed that you know part of the makeup of their ancestor mm-hmm. is passed on to the ancestor's offspring, and they they discuss reincarnation in those terms. Um, they do a lot of things that are genetically based. For example, they feel that the best marital partner for a person is their parents' siblings' child. Hmm. Now, in our family, I've noticed that that the genetics tend to cross that way, that my son is more like my wife's brother, and my daughter is more like my sister. There's a lot of sort of triangular crossing that way to aunts and uncles and to offspring. All right, stand by, sir. You and I have to take our, let me see, our final break for this hour. Exo Nation, our special guest is Laird Scranton. Now, if you'd like more information on Laird, you can visit the website as follows. Redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. That's redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. And uh, Exo Nation, we're going to be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue our very interesting conversation this hour with Laird Scranton, talking about the Dogans. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, and we will return. If you'd like to send us an email, don't forget our email address is... All right, you ready? Exxon at TV.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break. Don't go away. Explanation Laird Scranton is my guest this hour. Redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. All right, Laird, I, I asked you about mummification uh, because, you know, we were talking about how the 
Dogans were basically an offshoot of the Egyptians, and uh, did they mummify? Yes, the Dogan don't actually mummify, although they have a number of concepts in their religion that relate the, uh, to the Dogan processes of mummification. But what they do do is something that many of the most ancient cultures also do, including the Egyptians, and that is bury males on their right-hand side and females on their left-hand side. And so that seems to be the older tradition. The oldest tradition is um, the that process of of the tendency to bury a male person on his right side, laying on his right side. Laying on his right side. Right. Hmm. Any idea why? Um, it may. I, it looks to me as if it's just a matter of making it easy to distinguish which which type of person it is, you know, from remains. Hmm. There, there was a lot that was done. Um, in Dogen religion, with an eye to somebody later on understanding it. Um, this is part of what drew me into it to begin with. I'm a software designer, and when I write a program for a business, I have to think about what the business wants right mm -hmm. this minute, but I also have to think about the programmer who's going to follow me and trying to make it intelligible to someone who may have no idea what I'm talking about. And there's a lot of that in the in this religious tradition where effort very careful effort was put in to make sure that somebody like me who came along later would be able to understand what they were talking about. It's almost as if they want you to know the truth and they're giving oh, you absolutely. the information you. Absolutely they do. Um, and it looks to me as if the purpose of the esoteric tradition wasn't to hide things from us, but was actually to hide things from um, a higher power that had delegated the teachers of the Dogen. It's as if they had been instructed not to include science in what they taught, and they found a way of including it in a way that their overseers or their whoever was um, in charge of them, their managers, wouldn't recognize. So what's next for you? Any more books in the offing? Yes, actually, I'm uh, most of the way through a new book on, on Emmanuel Velikovsky, if you know who he is. He was. He was um, the heretic's heretic. In 1950, he wrote a book called Worlds in Collision that created an enormous stir in the astronomic world, and I'm uh, sort of updating that controversy with new evidence. Laird, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure to talk to you. I hope that we uh, were able to meet again here in the X-Zone. But until then, I wish you much success, and thank you very much for sharing this most interesting hour about well, the Dogans with much. us. You take care of yourself now. Great talking to you. Exonation, Laird Scranton has been my guest this hour. Redroom.com forward slash members forward slash Laird Scranton. And uh, we've been talking to Laird about his most recent book entitled The Cosmological Origins of Myth and Symbol from the Dogen and Ancient Egypt to India, Tibet, and China. I'll be back on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past as the Exxon continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away now. <laughs>